Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News show. Fireworks in the stands and fireworks on the pitch in Saint-Étienne as PSG's Fabulous Four put four past l'hiver. In Lyon, Rudy Garcia's sign lose again, but there are much worse news with the injuries of Memphis and Jeff Renadelaide. Elsewhere, Renato Sanchez is back in his Euro 2016 form and Marseille save a point thanks to NR7 and Pelé. We'll talk about all that and all the other Ligue 1 action and the Champions League draw, which came out earlier today. In today's show, I'm your host, Pierre-Paul Birmingham. We have a very strong lineup here today. First name on the team sheet, as always, Mohamed Ali. Hi, Mo. Hello. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Uh, in the interest of balance for our team, we have a little bit of Marseille with Mo. We're going to have a little bit of, of PSG with uh, Philippe Bargiel. Hi, Philippe. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And uh, to bring a little creative spark, who knows what kind of stats he's going to have for us today. It's Clinton <laughs> McDovis. Hi. How are things, Clinton? Fine, fine. Very good. Excellent. Right, let's begin with the freshest match Sunday evening between Saint-Étienne and PSG in Saint-Étienne. A 4-0 win for PSG. The first goal given to Neymar, although it's not very clear whether he touched it. I certainly didn't see it anyways. Uh, followed by another goal, a uh, goal from Mbappé, uh, Icardi and I Mbappé again. Philippe, uh, yeah. you know, it's a... Do you prefer calling them? What? What? How do you call them? Is it the fabulous four, the fantastic four? I've heard different things here. Um, I know it's fabulous four. I think it's really cool. Yeah, fabulous four. Um, yeah. Well, the main the main thing is that with uh, Tuchel is um, uh, persisting with this with this four four two, and it uh, seems to be working against us, who uh, well who are not attacking against us. The thing was yesterday is that we played very well, played uh, quite uh, with uh, quite a bit of was a bit of enthusiasm. It was uh, quite good to see. I personally would have given the first goal to uh, to Paredes just for argument's sake, just for saying you know he's had <laughs> such a such a tough time with the fans. Just just give it to him, even though even though Neymar maybe deflects it. I think uh, really it wouldn't have wouldn't have been the end of the world to uh, to give it to him, especially since Neymar has this kind of drought against Saint Etienne. He scored against every single other side in Liga, uh, every well yeah, and uh, and he missed a penalty. So basically, this goal uh, is is basically saying to everyone who said that Neymar has that kind of jinx against Saint Etienne that he doesn't, even though he actually does, because he didn't really. I mean, to, to me, he didn't really. <laughs> He didn't really score, and then he has a chance because let, let's be honest. Uh, had he had a, a clear goal, I don't think he's the one who would have uh, taken the penalty. And him missing the penalty, not great. Uh, I think uh, he won't. I mean, he's a he is he is a good player, uh, and I think he will bounce back from uh, missing a pet. Well, from actually putting a penalty on the post against Rufier because Rufier didn't save didn't save it, uh, even though Rufier did play the mind games against him very, very well because he didn't give him uh, an indication of whether he was going to go left or right on st or stay on the spot. So that was very well played by Rufier. But yeah, you just cannot see, you, you just uh, you just wish that Neymar would have scored, uh, shall we say, a proper goal, even though, I mean, it's given to him, but it really should have been, 
it really should have been Paredes's goal. The other side, uh, the other players very well. Aulu does something stupid, stupid after 25 minutes. Well, do you think that off. was a red card? I thought that was a little harsh. No, I didn't think it was harsh. Would you believe? Uh, I think it was stupid, and uh, that's uh, Indy Ganza's challenge. You're right. Uh, yeah, uh, it's just uh, we're going to talk about. I'm sure we're going to talk about the refereeing this weekend. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I believe we will. I think it was just stupid, and that uh, you when you when you've played in Liga for as long as uh, Jean Aoulou uh, has played in. Uh, you know that the refs are just going to say, okay, this is, uh, we, we call it in France, atteinte à l'intégrité physique, which is very legal for, uh, for, for sports, which is mm -hmm. basically saying he, uh, he tried to uh, do something to his, uh, to his body. Um, and yeah, yeah it was just, just stupid. So yeah, to me, it was a red card. And it was, it was, it was stupid because actually Saint-Étienne were not bad and uh, actually had uh, quite, a bit of, uh, quite a bit of chances. Kelo Navas didn't make a, a lot of saves, but uh, he had to uh, he had to to be quite alert on a few on a few occasions. So you know it's a shame. But uh, then, then you have all the pyrotechnics that followed with uh, Saint Etienne, and I, I, I believe we should be we should have a talk about uh, how the league is uh, dealing with um, with the flares uh, of uh, of the ultras in the Lyon area or the banners or what have you. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was bad, personally. Uh, yeah, what happened with the ultras was uh, for anyone who didn't see it, it mm. was quite a spectacular show. Not not your ordinary flares, which can be impressive um, to begin with, but they had proper fireworks um, shooting out in every direction with you know the kind of whistling noise that fireworks make. And and actually, Kylian Mbappe's second goal was scored just at that moment, which rendered the whole moment quite spectacular, but um, they're, they're going to get into quite a bit of trouble, Mo, aren't they, for, for that? Well, yeah, I mean, there's already, they've already suffered yeah. uh, briefly with the um, closure until further notice um, of, of the stadium, which is a bit of a shame considering they've got a couple of home games mm. um, coming up, or I think it might at least stretch into early January. But until that point, they might get um, one or two games uh, in addition to anything they've already served. So it's a heavy price to pay. Um, fortunately for them, they're away um, up until the new year um, and then play Nantes and Nîmes in the first two league and weeks. Um, and you'll bet that the LFP would like to make them pay considering the volume of fireworks. Um, which actually did injure a couple of stewards as well. It did, um, yeah. That they would definitely like to um, sort of throw the book at San Etienne, so to speak. Uh, Luffy looks scared. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a bit too much, and I think they've had this issue um, over the whole week where they knew that the Ultras, uh, or certain Ultra people celebrate, I think it's 20th anniversary, um, yeah. that they wanted to do it in it. some style, which is... Fair to them, but it, I mean, it went far over the top. And if you look at what happened in Marseille and Lyon over the past month, um, I think mm. that sort of display was perhaps you know not needed. And of course, given that pyrotechnics obviously banned in stadiums in France, um, even though people do smuggle the odd flare in, um, that was too much. And I think obviously it impacted the last few minutes of the game as well. So you can expect a big fine. 
And I, I possibly think those two games that they do come back in January will be behind closed doors for sure. If I, if I may say something between the relationship between the leagues, the LFP, League de Football Professionnel, and, and mm-hmm. the other, if you also go to actually have the funds and the money, the means, basically, to uh, bring that many fireworks into a ground, uh, knowing how to get it past the stewards, and uh, do that much, uh, uh, that much of a, of a show, and I'm pretty sure that if the league and the ultras uh, sat around the table and said, "Okay, you can do this, you can do that," I mean, I'm I'm not even sure that flares are forbidden in a football stadium, but if they are, I mean, the, the stewards are really not doing their jobs, and I'm pretty sure that if the league were to say, "Okay, you can you can have fun with your flares and what have you," but be reasonable, and I'm pretty sure that that would be just like in Germany. That they would just uh, they would just uh, maybe close close their eyes a little bit at, uh, until then just don't go too far and that's the problem with the ultras uh, be it at Saint Etienne for last night uh, in stoppage time which is a good thing they did in stoppage time imagine if they would have done it halfway through the second half the referee should have uh, would have stopped the game we would have had the game stop for 15 minutes had it had it go back on mm. I mean, that would have been even worse and then you've got Lyon Lyon with their banners on on Marcelo which is which is uh, which is equally really taking it very far. Now I can I can people uh, compare the ultra scenes in France to ultra scenes in Germany. In Germany, I think they're more reasonable. You know, they don't take it too far because they know they'll be in trouble if if they uh, they go out of uh, out of bounds. But in France, they just take it too far because they think they 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 own the club, which they don't really. They're very important to the club, but they don't own it. Uh, I think there's something that needs to be worked on. Especially for Lyon and Saint Etienne, those are the two ones. I think the Ultramarines have had their, their fair share with the league, but uh, it's not as bad as Lyon and Saint Etienne, and that something needs to be done. And it's almost as important as the on-pitch situation concerning Lyon. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I agree completely that the Lyon Ultras, in particular, have not distinguished themselves, be it this week or really, you know, the past year or few years. Um, there's been a lot of excessive situations let's say um it, it was interesting as well with the admission that uh, of Jean-Michel Olas that he kind of gave in to what they were asking by elect by um getting rid of Genesio and that he regretted it uh and maybe we'll have a chance to talk about that later but mm. I I do think that kind of I think this is what you're saying Philippe is that we need some kind of compromise that's in good faith from the fans and from the league because if you rely completely on, you know, security and so on, I mean, anyone who's been to a football match in France knows that, of course, the pat down by the stewards isn't very thorough, but yeah. it's already inconvenient, especially if, you know, you're just the ordinary fans like, I mean, certainly like me, I'm guessing like you guys too, who, I mean, I'm not smuggling anything into a football stadium. So it's kind of, it's inconvenient as it is. And if it were to become stricter, it would just be even more annoying. And I don't think that's the solution. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a major problem that we've had with the ultras in the past, you know, few years now and, and the kind of crisis between them and the league and yeah, we're, it's really lacking kind of good faith on, on either side. I would think Clinton, was there anything that struck you about this game that we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, the fact that Bonga almost had a hat-trick. <laughs> oh, he had great chances, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. And um, I think it was just unfortunate that none of them went in. 
I actually think that um, Saint-Étienne weren't as bad as the results um, suggested. Mm. I think they did uh, pretty okay, um, considering the circumstances. The red card was just very unnecessary. And I was very surprised that they didn't start um, Zaydu Yusuf, because um, it was someone I thought was going to start the game. And when he came on, he had a very good game. So... Yeah, three losses in a row for Saint-Étienne, including uh, the Europa League one, which didn't really matter that much. But um, I guess we kind of see what happens when William Saliba is absent, um, and they're yeah. going they're going to find have to find a replacement for him. Right. While we're on PSG, let's talk about the Champions League draw. It's Borussia Dortmund for PSG and Juventus for Lyon. Uh, Lyon is probably a hopeless one so let's talk about PSG Dortmund <laughs> Philippe how do you feel about Dortmund um I think we'll do just fine as a Westfalen Stadion do an absolutely wonderful performance a fabulous four probably scoring a hat trick each and then at home <laughs> we just don't know what's going to happen I've, but I've been watching a lot of Dortmund probably watch more Dortmund than PSG actually um, it's very interesting because they've got great players up front, mm. but they they just they just don't have any uh, flow. They're just not playing the football they should be playing with that quality. When you've got Togan as you've got Weiss, you've got Götze, um, and I believe that uh, it's a bit like last season with with Manchester United. There's a, the side is not in in good stead. As the manager is under fire, so maybe Fab is going to get sacked, maybe not. To, to me, it should have been sacked long ago. Uh, they don't have a centre forward. They've got Paco Alcazer, who's a fine striker, but uh, who Fab, for some reason, doesn't like. So basically, he plays with a false nine, uh, week in, week out. It's not working. It's obviously not working. Well, it works uh, enough to beat sounds like Mainz, which is not very hard. With better than them, I think we have. Uh, do we have a better goalkeeper? Yes, absolutely. We have a better goalkeeper. I think we have a better defence. I think Hummels has been a disaster since he moved back from Bayern. Uh, I think we have a better midfield. And I think our attack is uh, up there with the best in Europe. So I, I do believe we've got a, a better team than they do. The whole problem is up once again, psychological. And I think Dortmund at home is some kind of proposition, much more than the morgue that was Old Trafford. And, and then at home, we just never know. But I fully expect us to be uh, to be in the lead um, by the half of the tie. So by the end of the game, as a best fan, because I think away from home, we're quite good. We're quite good, <laughs> even though the place is intimidating. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm confident we will progress. But, uh, you know, I have a, you can have a safe bet on us for... Uh, fucking it up at the last minute, or you know, if VAR doesn't want us to progress, they'll find a way. Clinton Moe, are we in agreement or disagreement with Philippe here? Um, I wish I was in disagreement, but um, <laughs> they they should they should see it through. And I think that PSG um will actually be relatively happy considering um. I mean, they couldn't really have drawn any weaker teams or any significantly um, weaker teams. I'm not saying that Dortmund is weak, but as if you look at the issues that uh, Philippe had just mentioned, and the fact that you know they've actually been very poor on the travels um, in big games, they got obviously lost to both Bar- uh, Barcelona and Inter, 
away from him in the Champions League and got thumped at the Allianz. Um, As you, you know, PSG are free scoring. They've got a whole host of you know attacking players, the Fab Four that we spoke about, um, and they they want to get the job done at home. Um, I, I just don't see a sort of an area where they could you know conceivably screw it up as they did last year, but. You know, it's happened year in, year out. So I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if Dortmund do qualify. But I do expect um, that PSG will see it through. And probably convincingly as well before they draw someone their size in the quarterfinal. Interesting. Well, yeah. For me, yeah, for me, um, I think that as much as PSG are over- overwhelming favourites, um, a lot can still happen between December and February. So... Um, I mean, injuries could happen, um, form could change and all of that, although it's not very likely this time. Um, but hopefully PSG have everyone fit. Verratti, Neymar, Mbappe, Cardi, Di Maria, everyone, Cavani as well, so that at least they'll be able to tackle this tie. But overall, I think um, they'll probably get the job done away and the second second leg will just be a formality. That's the thing. I completely, I completely agree because say Fav does buy, say Fav stays, which he probably will, and say uh, Dortmund actually buys someone useful, a centre forward, uh, who is getting played, and that this combination of a, a natural centre forward works with Goethe, with Royce, with Hazard, with uh, Brandt, who San- to me is a Sancho. Uh, well, yeah, with Sancho. I mean. All those players, they've got so many players that can do so much, but they just don't have a centre-forward to make them click. And say they buy that centre-forward... They're linked Haaland. Yeah, they've been linked with Haaland. They've been linked to him. Like you said, uh, a lot of things can happen. And if they buy the right centre-forward, well, we'll be in a bit of a problem. Especially if Kim Pembe plays. (laughs) Harsh. Well, no... No one has brought it up, so I'm afraid it, it comes to me, unfortunately. But we already know who we're going to blame if they lose a second leg, right? Neymar's sister for having her birthday on the same on the day. Same day. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then the other thing, of course, is that for Thomas Tuchel, this is a return yeah. to uh, to where he came from, uh, mm-hmm. to PSG, back to Dortmund. So interesting reunion there. Uh, the other match is Lyon-Juventus. Lyon learned today that their stadium, uh, they wouldn't have a ban, uh, a closed stadium, uh, following what happened last week after the Leipzig match, uh, which... That would have been the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. Just, things are bad enough as they are. <laughs> They're going get, to get the game played behind the closed doors. I mean, they're, they're good quite... Decision. Yeah, they're quite lucky. Um, the bad news, of course, comes from Sunday's match against Rennes, which almost overshadowed the result, really, which was already bad for Lyon. Mm. And that is the injuries of Memphis Depay and Jeffrey Nadelaide, both of whom have torn their ACLs and will be out uh, till the end of the season, basically. Uh, and, I mean, Clinton, this is devastating for Lyon, really. Yeah, it's terrible. When when um, the the confirmation came, I was I just felt like okay, the season is over. Of course, obviously there's January to reinforce. Who knows what they could do in January to replace those guys? But um, I think it's a big loss. 
I mean, what are the odds losing both players on the same day in the same half? It's it's crazy, and I think that things are just really gotten bad for them now. Um, concerning the CL tie, I do not see how they come out of that game alive, out of that tie alive. I don't see it at all. I think um, it's going to be a very straightforward win for Juventus. But you never know with football, uh, anything can happen. And also, I mean, <laughs> we could just see uh, our going crazy and turning the tie on his own <laughs> or something. So <laughs> you never know. I mean, last year, I didn't see how Manchester United were going to get past PSG. And somehow it happened, especially mm. after that first leg. So um, I'm not going to write them Who off knows? completely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Mo, I'm sure you would. Am I the only one who who really wishes Depay wouldn't have equalised against Leipzig? Because <laughs> well, I, I mean, first of yeah. all, they didn't deserve. First of all, they didn't deserve it. And honestly, what what's the point? What's the point? They're going to play against yeah. a very good side who are confident. Exactly. And uh, the, the they, they would have done better. Yeah, I get that. Well, but also, um, the reputation of France was on the line. I mean. How, how, how would Leon not come out of that group? Yeah, I, that's what I think. It would have been, you know, as much. It feels like a like you know they've. It feels like a robbery that they've made it out with that late, late goal from yeah. Depay and so on. But it would have been so humiliating not to make it out of that group, given the chances that they had had. I mean, you know, it was completely in their hands. It, they could only have blamed themselves if they didn't make it out. So, I'd rather take that position and tell myself, you know. It's a good well, thing. <laughs> well, they've got they've got Silvino to thank um, for yeah, getting yeah, the first four that points. Yeah, that Champions League. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry, but in terms of humiliation, it doesn't really matter if if you had made it or not because we already had Lille, Rennes, and Saint Etienne being absolutely rubbish. So we really didn't. I mean, <laughs> well, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I didn't feel like oh come on, you have to go through. I I, I mean, I start watching at halftime and saying okay, this is dead because. Uh, Thiago Mendes is rubbish and uh, Tuzar is rubbish and they're getting everyone in midfield and I just can't see them getting back in. Of course they did. Yeah. But uh, it was it was like, honestly, they, they better not go through because otherwise things are going to get pretty oh. bad. You know, I've got this do, vision. If they do go, th- yeah, I mean, if they do beat Juventus, yeah. um, somehow, I think it would be oh. nothing short of a miracle. Mm. But, we're, uh, we're probably going to talk Later, I've got this vision of Cristiano Ronaldo running at uh, uh, Joachim Anderson. <laughs> very, it's very scary. I mean, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm the only one who's scared. And and also going back, actual, going back to going back to actual, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, analysis of who should finish in the top three, who should be European. I mean, to me, Lyon really should not be European in a way that Marseille should not be, not have been European for this season. Because mm. it was, it was a, this is such a complete mess that they need. I mean, stru- what yeah. was the point? I mean, this is actually. What's a the point? point exactly. Will, What's the point? I mean, I, let, I wanted say... to raise. This <laughs> is the point that I wanted to raise earlier, and I was thinking about. Yeah. Um, if you look at, for example, the likes of Lille, um, who, in fairness, were in a difficult group. But. Um, but you know, you've done all that effort last year to win twenty odd games in the league mm. and, and and finish second. And then to just be really hapless. I mean, there were a couple of honourable defeats, but if you look at the points that they eventually grabbed, and especially in the positions of the games that they had, um, in Valencia, for example, was that, that was one. Um, and in the end, picking up, I think it was two points, if, if I'm correct. One, one point. One point. Well, even there, there you go. Um, I mean, what's the point? 
you know, yeah. but, I like, mean, what's the point? We, we already know that Lille, you know, had a massive squad overall. They've got a coach who, obviously, in French football circles is heavily well regarded, but, you know, in Europe has achieved very little. Um, and then the same thing. If they do end up, they're third at the moment. They're on a bit of a renaissance. If they do end up snagging Champions League again, what's the point? Because, obviously, in the summer, they're going to get ripped apart once again. Yeah, they're buying Simena. young players, right. um, 19, 20, 21, with very little... Mm. Um, you know, top flight experience, and then the same again in the Champions League next year because they they would be in pot four because they haven't actually done anything for the coefficient. The same thing that happens again, and the cycle continues. And obviously, it's it's you know, obviously Marseille did finish fifth, um, and the league tables doesn't like even though fifth would have been good enough for Europe most years. Um, that that you know, you'd rather a team with some experience, exactly, to, which know, was a blessing in disguise, Mo. I mean. It, it yeah, was. I mean, it is a blessing in disguise, but you know, of course, yeah. uh, there's a reason why France does so poorly um, mm. in European competition because the teams are so ill-equipped to it. And then it's 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 no excuse when you see the teams from Romania, of CFR Cluj, for example, from from Denmark, etc., from really poor leagues. Not even in some cases, not even the best teams in their leagues who approach Europe uh, fantastically and still maintain their their league form um, and end up regularly going into the last last sixteen. Um, you know, Istanbul, Basaksehir, here, for example. They, yeah, you know, they they they've come from nowhere to to now qualify twice into the last thirty-two. Um, and then you look at likes of Ren. Obviously, we can give them a break, but if you look at Sinitian and who are very very hapless, you look at Strasbourg, who obviously you know it was their first occasion, but didn't even go through. Um, they go unlucky to Strasbourg. Go yeah, yeah. Granted, they did play Frankfurt, but you get you get the point. Mm. Uh, yeah. The overall approach is just really really poor. Um, and after all, you're just thinking, what's the point? I think this is why I did not want uh, Monaco to make it into Europe last season. That's um, at the end of 17-18. Remember that? Remember that run when uh, Monaco, yeah, yeah. Lyon, and Marseille were because there were the signs were already there that Monaco were in decline, but somehow they, they were able to come second. And I, I was just I kept predicting that it was going to go horribly wrong. And of course, <laughs> we saw how it went last season when they lost. They lost like all their games. They were they were getting between four zero and all of that. And I just feel like most times I want I want the teams that have everything together. The, I, I want the bigger teams in France to keep making it to perhaps the Champions League, and also um, the, those teams being well put together because we've seen Lyon now. They they made Champions went south just after they made it. And you know, I, I feel like Marseille would probably have you know done better, but we saw Marseille last season in Europe, and they also. I mean, last mess. season so... really. Last season was, last season. I mean, after <laughs> just re- reaching the final in 2018, I, I didn't. Yeah. Think that it was First really round. give, give give a crap about uh, you know doing the same thing again, especially considering that they, they had their sights on league football. I mean, once you've gone through the, the, the ranking, gone through the you know gone through the rounds and reached the final. I mean, it's highly unlikely they're going to do it all again from the from match day one, uh, especially when the aim was the Champions League. Uh, so I don't yeah. really hold too much. I mean, Marseille really, if you look at even the game, well, they really didn't give two monkeys about the Europa League last year, uh, scoring own goals for fun um, in Frankfurt <laughs> and in, in, in Cyprus, I remember. But I just, you know, if it, in the Champions League, 2013-14 aside, it would have been a different story, I would have thought, because of the, the pressure... Uh, involved, uh, but I just feel like it's just really insipid. Um, and it obviously, 
now, given that the Champions League now allows four teams from the first top four leagues, uh, there's no sort of immediate threat of Portugal or Russia now being a third place. But, you know, it doesn't help for the league's profile. Um, and so it's, it's really not on PSG when it's people talk about PSG, you know, ruining French football's image or whatever. I mean, the teams do a great job of them, themselves in the continental stage and it just needs to change. And in the end, uh, for all their misbehavior and so on, Lyon fans get rewarded by getting to see Lionel Messi last season and Cristiano Ronaldo this year, um, which <laughs> it just shows that there's no justice in football. Also, yeah. the other thing that, that kind of annoyed me from Lyon is that they announced today the release of a limited edition kit, a uh, European kit, uh, which is on sale for 120 euros. Yeah, and it is literally, yeah. it's the same kit with a different shirt sponsor. I don't understand um, why that is a thing. And also, you can only get it with four different player names, two of whom are, are Memphis and Jeff, which yeah, I don't know how they announced this today. Like, it's, it's just everything well, about company, that idea. Isn't, isn't the company involved, isn't it? Uh, don't they have like rubbish trucks or something like that? Garbage trucks. Hmm. Um, Veolia. Oh, really? So, I mean, that's what they're known no, for. No, Veolia is an it's an energy thing, isn't it? I mean, I've seen them near in, in North London, where the, the rubbish trucks here are Veolia. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So maybe they they do branch into waste management, I suppose. But um, um, yeah, I mean, hmm. you can really label those shirts trash, and I probably wouldn't buy them. <laughs> right. Uh, let's talk about Fujisim on on Spawn. I just saw Juninho being interviewed, who we're talking about. Uh, who was being uh, questioned, of course, about the draw, so against Juventus, and how yeah. uninspiring he looks. I mean, is it is it possible that this guy is probably Lyon's downfall, and that he, I mean, Lyon went in a much better way before he arrived, or is it, or am I being too hard? Um, big no. question, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know because, because uh... Slovenia was Slovenia was his choice. He was but rubbish. Also, but yeah. careful, because the other day Ola said that Juninho wanted to keep Genesio originally. Oh, great! Yeah. <laughs> Which is another touch. I like. I'd honestly like to have a, a poll uh, on the OL Twitter official Twitter and say who do you want the manager right now? Do you want someone within that... the club? Also, also the whole thing about Lacombe retiring. I mean, this is big. This is this is mm. very big for the club internally. Uh, some guy who who was Lyon through and through, who's been following the club for all his life. Uh, he played there. He managed there. He's he's sporting director and so on. I mean, this is big, and and you can just see the club falling apart. I mean, the the only the only thing. Uh, uh, missing is uh, just Olas leaving and saying, okay, someone else take the reins and good luck with that. I mean, Philippe, he's uh, he's 67. That's well past retirement age. No, I know. There's something big. on the news very much these days. No, I know. But still, it's still a, a big, you know, a big uh, figure. No, it is. Figure. Yeah, it is no. a big change. I agree. I'm saying he, he should, he should uh, not saying that he's going to change the life of the club, but still, it is something. Hmm. Right, so very quickly, let's talk about the match itself, Lyon-Rennes, 1-0, uh, a late goal from Eduardo Camavinga, 17 years old, and his first ever professional goal. Who mm. wants to talk about what he did to Lyon or what the Lyon defense allowed him to do, rather? Well, um, 
the, yeah, it was, it's more of a case of Joachim Anderson just letting Kamvinga sail by uh, very, very easily. He showed great composure. You know, being 17 years and 34 days old, um, you know, picking up his first goal in Liga and becoming the youngest scorer in Reigns history. But capping off what really was a turgid match um, at both ends. And and Ren, you know, they know how to win at Lyon. They did it. You did so in the French Cup. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in early on in the year, they did it. Um, you know, they they've gotten the better of Lyon, especially under Stefan. Um, and the, the task was just to sit deep, absorb all that pressure, and then pick out uh, moments. And I think they they hit the gas in the last fifteen minutes at Lyon began to tie, obviously hindered by injuries to to two key players. Um, and Kamavinga just saw his chance because, you know, the Leon defence were absolutely woeful um, and sailed past Anderson, literally dragging the ball with his left foot, just taking it past him. And, but you know yeah. who else I blame for that goal? Yeah, Be- uh, Bertrand Traoré, because he, when, when Kamavinga gets the ball, Traoré is almost on his heels, kind of chasing him down and looks, I mean, he could yeah. just put the effort in and, and get in the way. Or else, also, right at the moment where Anderson kind of gets fooled, it looks like he's expecting Kamavinga to go left based on the assumption that Traoré, who's coming on the right of Kamavinga, is going to cover that side. But Traoré just stops running. And then, yeah, Anderson looks like a fool and kind of gives up easily. I agree. When Kamavinga just kind of goes right of him. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was just a disorganized move. And yeah, first goal for... For Kamavinga, third win in a row in Lyon for Rennes in the league, plus the one in the cup that you mentioned, uh, Mo. Um, yeah, not good. And they were lucky because just before that, there was a great chance from Nyang, which, I mean, it was a fantastic block by by Raphael to deny Nyang from the six-yard line, basically. Um, and yeah, things are looking bad at Lyon. That's the conclusion of that. Lille 2, Montpellier 1. Icone scores and then assists Renato Sanchez, who is on fire, Clinton. Yeah. Um, it was an exceptional game from Renato. He was he completed 10 dribbles. And overall, he was just lively. I think um, he gives Lille a lot of solutions because um, for a while, uh, Gautier has been trying to find a balance between being potent in attack and being strong defensively. And I think uh, Renato answers that emphatically because going forward, he's really good. He can take on players. He can can play from out wide and he can switch uh, either side. And also defensively, he also can put in a shift. He can, can I mean, he's obviously he's, um, a, a midfielder, a very, very well-rounded midfielder. So he gives them that covering as well. You know, defensively when they need it. So I think um, he offers a lot of solutions. And in this game, he was just absolutely fantastic. The skills, the the goal he scored, and everything overall, it was just excellent. Uh, I think it's great to see him, you know, looking like that player again, that golden boy, you know, from years ago. And I think Lille are going to be better off for it. I think they're about to go on a really good run post January, uh, post December. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You think so? Because yeah, um, I, I, do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think they've solved their away record yet. Um, and I think they did win at Lyon recently. I mean, they did. Yeah, they but... the first 
I mean, that's one out of not eight or nine. Um, since, and first so, since March. Exactly. So, I, I mean, as much as I enjoyed it, I can't see it happening considering I think I think Monaco's next um, yeah, over the next week, um, and then you've got you know I don't know Strasbourg or you know. Well, yeah, they've got they've got a couple of difficult ones. Dijon uh, after Monaco. That yeah, that, well, they, that one is winning. That one can go either way, uh, considering. Yeah. Um, but they've they've just been really really, in you know abject. For Montpellier, Andy Delors was the goal scorer, and uh, Victor Osimhen missed the penalty. Right, Philippe, you want to talk about refereeing? Michel Darzakarian was very angry after this match. Montpellier conceded two penalties. Uh, one was scored by Kone, the other missed by Osimhen, as I just said. Both of them were debatable, I guess. What did you think? Uh, no, the only incident that I saw uh, that was... Um, um, it was really 50-50, was um, the uh, penalties that were awarded to Marseille, mm. uh, which... Uh, no, to Metz, sorry, which uh, Metz... Uh, didn't score, but they made a very good save. Uh, it's one of those. They use VAR, okay, and it's it's one of those. It's one of those um, where I don't know if you if you've uh, uh, seen the show where Gary Neville uh, does an analysis <laughs> on on the whole on 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 the game on English football, where he says yes, it's a dive, yet yes, it's a penalty. So Mel's not here, so he'll probably disagree. He'll probably disagree with me when that when uh, when he sees this. Is that no, no? Mo's back with us. Uh, oh, Mo's back. Oh, right. Okay, so we can yeah. we can talk. It can be. It can be, can be. I'll, be, I'll be here to the end. I can understand why the referee gave it, even though I personally wouldn't have given it. If that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Is, is, is this the first is, penalty or the second one? Um, uh, I, I, I think the, he's talking about the mess one, but I think it's a similar no, case to the Araujo one for Lille. For me, they were very similar situations. Because Sakai has no business uh, uh, lunging in like that in the penalty area. So he's basically putting it, uh, shooting yeah. himself in the foot and basically saying, OK, if you, want, if you want your team to be awarded a penalty, all you have to do is touch me and dive, which Diallo did, if it is Diallo, don't remember. So basically, I get why the penalty was awarded after having seen it on VAR. I get that. So really? overall, I mean, yeah. I didn't think it was a really? penalty, though. Because it reminds uh, for me, me, it reminds yeah, me of Neymar's, Neymar's against um, PSG in the 6-1 when Munier was on the floor and Neymar <laughs> dived on top of him and won the penalty. It was kind of the same thing. At first, when I saw the incident, I thought... It was a penalty, a definite penalty. Then I saw the replay from the other angle, and I could see that Sakai's leg was just hanging, and he just basically jumped on it. So I don't know that that shouldn't be a penalty at all. I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't have given it, but I can see why the ref did. I, for me, the shocking thing wasn't uh, the initial penalty. I mean, obviously, I think if you look at it in real time, it's very easy to give a penalty because obviously there was contact. But looking at the, 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 I mean, the dive of the Mets attacker, it essentially was a very easy way to go down. I was astounded, absolutely astounded, the fact that he's got information in his ear um, and he goes to check rightly. I mean, you know, you can take as long as, long as you need, as long as you come to the right decision. <laughs> and that he's gone to the touchline 
looked at it and still decided that it was a penalty, given all the camera angles that he had available to him. That's what I find absolutely amusing. Um, and, you know, like VAR, we've, we've spoken about VAR on this podcast, and it probably has, you know, millions of mm-hmm. uh, podcasts around the world this season, of course. Um, it, it, you know, the main issue of VAR is that it's absolutely useless if the referees, who themselves haven't changed, uh, are not to scratch. Um, and I know that it's not a uh, tier one referee that was at, you know, on, on the call for, for Mets Marseille. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But after all of that, I was just astounded that initially made the right decision, went to the end. Also, what, what grated me, what absolutely grated me this weekend was the fact that he went to the, the touchline, watched the action, looked at the monitor, called a penalty. But then as he was running back on the field, initially... His hand gestures said no foul. He literally looked no foul. So I thought, okay, I'm relieved. He came to the right decision. Walked back into the box before pointing to the spot. And by that time, I was proper. Actually, when he goes back on the pitch, you're not quite sure what he's he's giving. You're not even sure. You don't even know if he's pointing to us or giving a goal kick. Exactly. I was watching this and they'd already announced that, okay, it's no penalty. Yeah, you know, the pundits were like, oh, you know, it's a smart decision. And then he's walked all the way back to the byline and then pointed mm. to the spot. And, you know, it's incredulous. And I think if you saw Alvaro Gonzalez, the OM defender, he tweeted on Saturday night after looking at the footage, just a simple OMG. Um, because it's hopeless. I mean, when you keep getting things wrong that easily, it's, you know, like I said, without technology, I could have been able to see, you know, without the hindsight of, video assistance it's very easy to make that call uh, um you know obviously the, arm, the armchair fan at home can can see it but he's had the aids he's literally had the aid to make an informed decision and he's chosen to not do so i find yeah, I see what you mean uh there are some cases there are some cases where uh, i completely agree with with that this is not exactly the case I, i'd say i'd say 80 percent agree with that uh, and uh, I'm, I'm going to say, repeat again, that I've always been against uh, VAR in football and always will be, because it's, it's just counterproductive, counter-natural and counter-everything that has to do with, with the game. But I, I, completely, get, I completely get where, where, uh, where you're coming from, is that sometimes the referee, even though he's got the, he's got the help of the, uh, of the... He still gets it wrong. And not only him, but the guys who actually whistled to him in his ear, saying, "You have to, you have to change your decision because we think you're wrong." And basically, most of the time, the referee doesn't disprove him. He says, "Okay, if you think I'm wrong, I'll go with, I'll go with uh, what, what you're saying. I won't have an opinion of my own." Basically, which is basically which is what happened at PSG versus United. I think yeah. that referees, I mean, VAR or no VAR. We should just accept that referees are the dictators on the pitch and that whatever they say is well, law and we stop debating it. <laughs> because uh, uh, the, the video guys are the dictators not on the pitch. There's the dictators in a small little box and telling the referee what to well, do. Well, we still argue against their decisions. So we, yeah. should, we should just take it, accept it, accept that there's going to be mistakes one way or the other. And, you know... If the, it sounds arbitrary, right? But what's the French word for referee? Arbitre. Yeah. That's 
that's the whole implication, isn't it? So, um, anyways, the penalty was missed <laughs> by yes. Javi Diallo, saved by by Johan Pele, we should say, who came on for an injured Mandanda. 1-1 final score between Messe and Marseille. Mo, um, quickly, what are the takeaways on, on this one? Um, mostly I'm a bit annoyed because obviously, you know, given the Paris won um, on Sunday night, um, that the title does seem a bit further away than it did. Um, uh, the what now? The title. <laughs> um, okay. Of course, I'm only saying this in, in jest. Um, but no. <laughs> but no. Um, yeah, no, it was it was annoying uh, considering you know the, the the position of the two teams, and I think um, people have picked up on this in that you know Marseille doesn't really have a good record against the the petite the the, the smaller teams mm. um, this season. It was the inverse last year where they were absolutely hopeless against teams above them, but won comfortably against or against you know in all matches um, against teams in the bottom five. But this year it seems to be the other way around. See the opening day defeat to Hans aside, the, it really it grates um, as much as the um, the three one defeat to Amiens in early October. And Mets were were powerful. I mean, obviously they haven't won in ages. Um, they're playing in front of a boisterous home crowd, um, and they're able just to stifle Marseille out because obviously Marseille it's all been about pressing. It was none of that. They were found out pretty quickly, and with a couple of tactical tweaks, you know, Dimitri was playing a lot deeper and. Amavi, curiously, was more in, uh, towards the centre, you know, coming in diagonally. Um, maybe to maybe there's something along that wing that Avery has spotted, I don't know. But Mets were, were very good value for, for at least the points. Um, and OM really had no idea. It seemed like, you know, week mm. to the Woody Garcia match where there was no plan B. Um, but plan B there was for AVB um, in that <laughs> German and Radonjic came on. Uh, Rodonic, who has, I think now we can safely say he's got more goals than Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi um, over the past three and a half weeks. Um, in his fourth, <laughs> with his fourth in the, with his, with his fourth in the back. Ah, oh, okay, well. Uh, try again so, next week, Mo. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see you next week when he scores two. Um, but... Yeah, and I mean, four goals in 100 minutes, 100 minutes of action um, over the last three and a half weeks, was, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and Valé Chaman did really well. And Payette, who had a disappointing game, at least unlocked that moment of quality in drilling the ball mm. uh, towards Chaman, who picked out uh, Radonjic. Although I was very surprised that Mets were, you know, defence were very static uh, for that. But, you know, a point where it could have so easily been in the defeat, and it probably would have been in a game that OM had approached like that. I'm not going to, you know, call it complacency, but it's quite difficult. And and the winning streak, like Clinton said right at the top of this podcast, is over. Um, so no record uh, for AVV for now. Um, he was one short of Didier Deschamps' title-winning record in 2010, and two that uh, the all-time record co-set by Bielsa five years ago. But he can start again at one next week um, against me. Um, and it's important yep. because I think you know the results. I mean, Marseille are almost guaranteed to finish second, but I mean, Rennes will not play their rearranged game until January, so they will finish second. Um, this is uh, you know, the end of 2019, which is obviously a very good uh, place to be in. They're 10 points ahead of Lyon, who 
who had their bit of bad luck um, yesterday. So it's all going swimmingly. And I think it's very important to win that last game against the soon-to-be bottom side, um, who are also playing on Wednesday in the, in the Coupe de la Ligue. They're playing in the, the Velodrome against, against Nîmes. I'm just hoping that it's a strong performance because obviously come January, second half of the season, it's going to be really tough because when OM do play away, they're going to play away to some very tough you know, fixtures, tough places, and at the end, Ren, you know, the reason they're doing so well is because they've actually played most um, of the top guys, except for PSG, Monaco and Nice at the Velodrome. Um, so the inverse begins now, and it's going to be quite difficult for ADV to chain victories on the road. On to Bordeaux. Credit to Mestre. Credit to I will give credit as well to, well, first of all, Opanget, who scored the goal, who seems mm. to be the one who scores goal when it's not Habib Diallo, but also the mm. man who assisted him, former Evian fullback, Fabien Oh, oh he had a great game. He had an absolutely <laughs> great game. I, I thought he was quite, I thought it was quite good. Um, yeah, good. his cross was really, really nice. Is this kind of hint to it was Evian I'm not getting. I, I'm um, an Evian fan. He's a massive oh, like, I fan. See. <laughs> yes. Um, he's, and... he's a good guy, right? He's a, he was good at Lens. He's good at Metz. It's, uh, yeah, he's... I, I do... Uh, well, we're probably going to talk about the relegation uh, later on, but I, I do believe this this side is is really well equipped to uh, to keep keep on going until the till the bit turn and maybe until the, the playoffs or maybe even finish outside the bottom three. It was a very spirited performance, and it's one of those things uh, where you thought, are Marseille playing badly, or is it just that Mets are, are pretty good? Because apart, I mean, the whole squad, the whole the whole performance by Marseille was not very good, uh, especially from Bounassar. I had actually no idea he was on the pitch until he got subbed. Um, and they, it just, apart from Sanson, nobody was really playing. It was strange, it was strange. But you didn't really know if it was Marseille who were playing badly or that, or it was because Mets were, were playing so well. Now, since because Mets were playing so well, I mean, uh, we saw it uh, last week against Bordeaux. Marseille was struggling when when the side was growing in confidence on the pitch. But then you had you had that back pass and you had this and you had that and and then Marseille Marseille grew in confidence and uh, Rongier played better, Sanson played better, etc. etc. Pretty much the same happened. La- uh, it was on Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah, on Saturday. But you know, no, 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 three points. But huge credit to Mets. I mean, they, they really gave gave them, yeah, gave gave everyone them their money's worth for those who assisted the game, who attended. Sorry. Fair enough. Mets are 18th in that playoff spot. Right on to Bordeaux Strasbourg, which Strasbourg won one nil thanks to a goal from your man Ludovic Ajorc Clinton. Uh, it was <laughs> it was an opportunistic goal on a corner. Um, Bordeaux. Had some chances, but eh. but Jimmy Briand had a terrible miss. Oi. Uh, yeah, yeah. The big news for Bordeaux today, though, is that majority owners King Street and a sort of investment fund are going to buy out the rest of the club from uh, GACP and Joe De Grossa, who was uh, the the chairman of the club despite his uh, minority stake. Uh, this means that Frédéric Longuepé, who's uh, has some important role already is going to stay at the club and uh, I mean we mentioned you Philippe you mentioned that the club that the fans are in conflict with the club earlier they're especially in conflict with him I'm not too sure what the whole story is 
I did find out that Frédéric Longuepé was an Olympian representing France. Does anyone know what sport? Um, Athletics. Nope. Hockey. <laughs> no. Uh, while he would have a great name for uh, uh, fencing, fencing uh, it was actually gymnastics. Oh, wow. So, it's a little fun fact there. Uh, Brest, Nice, nil-nil. Clinton, tell us about this one, because this was a lot of fun, actually, despite the absence of goals. Yeah, probably the best nil-nil draw I've seen this year. It was absolutely um, exciting, end-to-end action and all of it. And, of course, my my new favorite goalkeeper in the world. Sonia. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was just save after save after save after save. And somehow, though, um, I think Brest had the better opportunities. The missed penalty um, by Chabonnier. And um, there was one header that hit the post as well. But overall, I think it was just a game that showed that um, Gauthier is like the current most informed goalkeeper probably in Europe. He was just absolutely astonishing. Mm. And he made three very, very good saves um, from long shots, um, especially the um, Cyprian shot after a free kick mm. that was you know, sent back to him. And the way he just reacted to the shot and just said it was incredible. But overall, I think it was a great game. And um, Nice were probably fortunate to come out of that with um, a, a draw because, I mean, the penalty plus the, the header of the post uh, could, mm. could easily have been a breast win. Um, I think your audio jumped just when you were saying the name. So for the record, it's Gauthier Larsonneur, Brest goalkeeper. He had a yeah. great game. Walter Benitez was, was quite good for Nice as well. And as you mentioned, Charbonnier misses a penalty. He now has missed more penalties than he has scored goals this season, which is uh, mm. uh, a very unfortunate stat for him. Yeah, yeah. Very, very sad. Top scorer uh, last in League 2. Yeah. Angers Monaco nil nil as well. Uh, an intense match by, from what I've heard, uh, a couple of good saves from from Lecomte too. Uh, but yeah, nil nil. Toulouse nil. Reims one. Eighth loss in a row for Toulouse. Meanwhile, Rémi Houdin scores for a second time in a row for Reims. It's the first time they win against a team from the bottom half in the table, uh, which it was about time, I guess. And uh, interesting news in that. Uh, President Olivier Sadran has promised refunds for season ticket holders for the second half of the season, which I don't know if that's a good solution. I mean, they're just going to have less fans when they're in a really big relegation battle here. I think I think he's definitely misjudged that one. I think yeah. he's done it because because he thinks you know we'll give them some good news. Who doesn't like? Well, I mean, it's if also they them, if they if they gave them free entry. Um, now that would be you fun. know having having reimbursed or just even give them just free entry don't reimburse anything but just you know mm. uh, you know make a gesture or, or or you know I don't know there's plenty of things to do but he's given up he's saying that you know we're not playing we're not you know we're not playing a standard of football that you want to pay for if you don't want to come rather than hurling abuse at us don't come and here's your money back I mean um, if, and if I think he's probably it, in his head. He's probably, he's, in his head, he's probably thought it was some sort of grand gesture that he'd be at least, you know... But it's also for, because... It's gone I really mean, bad. I think he had a bit of a scare because towards the end of the match, the Toulouse Ultras just kind of left the stand all of a sudden and no one really knew what was going on. And then they reappeared in the, the presidential stand trying to confront him. 
and it was there was completely chaotic scenes. I mean, some of them were trying to go on the pitch or something. It was the stewards had no idea what to do because it was just you know these guys running around all over the place. So I he probably had a bit of a scare just then. Um, yeah, Toulouse could get in trouble for that as well. I guess uh, that's a bit of a theme this week, huh? Um, and um, the other thing was this rumors today that Elibo could be interested by the job. He wasn't um, at his usual commentary station for the multiplex on Saturday. So maybe he was trying to sort out something. But Mo, he hasn't had a job since uh, 2013 with Marseille. It's... Well, he was, it wasn't pretty, but it certainly did do the <laughs> job. Um, let's just put it that way. Um, I obviously, I mean, six years ago now, it's a long time, but at the time I was absolutely against Elie Boop's, uh, Bob's tenure. Uh, but looking on uh, several years later, there's it been worse. Was a very exactly. I mean, it's been much worse. Yeah. Um, and I look back on his time fondly, considering that he did what you know Rudy Garcia perhaps should have done last week. He won uh, last. Sorry, last year he won ugly. He won. He knew the the you know how to how to pick up points. He knew. I mean, he got Joey Barton playing in a in a a team that eventually finished second. Um, and mm. it just kept on not conceding goals, having his true defence, um, and got sacked when he lost 1-0 to Nantes, having been in fifth position in December. Um, and that's for some really lofty ambitions that Marseille probably had at the time. Um, can you imagine, <laughs> like, the, the sacking AVB for Project Dortmund. Five. Exactly. Uh, it's ridiculous. He was, was, he was a good manager, and if, you know, if Toulouse do manage to get him, they'd be very fortunate. I think I'd definitely hold them into um, as favourites in staying up. He, was he's a, f- a Sam Allardyce almost, but without the without the pint of wine and the, the, <laughs> the pro Brexit views possibly or the, the lavish well, views. But yeah, who knows? Because well, it's a strange move though, wouldn't it be? Because he he he's very much a Bordeaux man. I mean, in the area. I mean, he likes Marseille, but uh, it's, it's he he managed can't... Toulouse as well, though he managed them yeah. between two thousand six and two thousand eight. So it's well, again Sadran appointing an ex. What could go wrong? Going back on what Sadran uh, did, uh, if if you were a Toulouse player and you read about that, you know, we're refunding the the, the the fans for yeah the for football on show. I mean, I don't think you'd be very happy, and I don't think that's the way to go to. To motivate, uh, to motivate the players to play better. I just, yeah. I just think it's. I mean, that guy is um, worldly renowned for be, doing P, uh, absolutely terrible PR stunts, and mm. that's one of them. It's just not helping. And me. back to the comparison that we make every week. You know, mm. when Pascal Duprat was there, he energized the whole city and you know filled yeah. out the stadium to get them safe. Um, uh, which is exactly the opposite of this. Uh, I did want to say about Elibo that uh, there was a fascinating article a couple of months ago um, about his sort of second life as a cowboy because he has a ranch in the south of France where he raises horses. Wow. And he, I mean, he has a proper kind of cowboy costume and everything. There was some incredible pictures in that, in that story. Yeah. Well, yeah, he uh, looked very happy in those pictures. I saw them. Yeah. Um, he looked very content and, you know, more support power to him. <laughs> um, but yeah, what a what, what backstory. I mean, who's going to take care of the horses if he's trying to save Toulouse? Because that won't be an easy job. That's a good question. Team, <laughs> right. Uh, two more matches from the weekend. 
not won away to Nîmes. It's their ninth win of the season. All of their wins by one goal. This was a 1-0 win, uh, win with a goal from Imran Louza, who's 20 years old, I believe. Amiens won, Dijon won. Um, I don't have the goal scores here. As my panel Konate. knows, yeah, Konate is right. And John Dirk Hadis, yes. Mm. Um, yeah, as the panel knows, we've had some technical Amien issues being, today. Amien being uh, one of only three teams to have scored at home this week. Oh, interesting, yeah. The mm. other true. being Lille and Metz. That's and the rest the, of the home the, teams. The biggest stat is that only one home team won the entire weekend. And we had five away wins. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Only Lille won. Amiens had a... Um, Eddie Nyaori had a fantastic half volley, which hit both posts, but didn't go in. Goal. Yeah. I just wanted to mention, um, Jordan Lefort had a very, very good game. He got the assist for Konate's goal, but overall, he had a very mm. good game from left back. Right. On to Ligue 2, where, yeah, as part of our technical difficulties, I've seemingly lost all my notes from here, so I'm just going to do from memory. Uh, Lens, who are second, they beat Ajaccio 2-1 on Saturday. And uh, I know that Pascal Duprat got his first win, uh, sorry, his first loss uh, with Caen away to Rodez. And there was also an interesting story that Wilfred Boney, of all people, is training with Le Havre. Uh, Le Havre have been trying for a really long time now to kind of sign a star player. And <laughs> I guess this is closer than they've ever been because he's training with them. So good luck to them. Uh, in... uh, trois, trois won this evening too, and that's a big win at Guingamp. Uh, they trois. All right. Where and where are they in the table yes, now? Uh, yeah, they're back to third now. They're just two points behind Lens. Lens ah, had a so very they... big win. Yeah. So trois overtake at... Ajaccio, indeed. I'm yeah. Just looking at the table where um, Nancy and Grenoble uh, in ninth and eleventh. 11 draws out of their 18 games. Jeez, that's terrible. And they've only lost twice. Yeah. Also, it must be real. A real troll watching them. Well, they they are in mid table. Yeah. Well, yeah. You get you get a lot of draws. Only only <laughs> three or four points away from the promotion playoff places. Wow. And my beloved the Paris FC playing a huge game on Saturday against Le Mans. Against Le Mans. Mm. And and PSG play Le Mans in the midweek. Yeah, in the yeah. Coupe de la Ligue, which uh, that was also the lead from my notes. Oh, okay. There's Coupe de la Ligue fixtures this week. So hopefully um, lose against both power sides. <laughs> we'll see. Um, right. In the women's league, today was the last weekend of league action uh, before the Christmas break. They've now played 12 out of 22 matches. Uh, Lyon are five points clear. Bordeaux are just two points behind second place PSG. Um, what else was there to say for this? Right. Ada Hegerberg is... Top goal scorer with 14 goals. And there's three players tied on nine, two of whom are from Bordeaux, actually. Uh, let's finish with some transfer stories. Not a lot of big news, but a couple interesting ones nonetheless. Mo, uh, story today that Lucas Ocampos, formerly of Marseille, of course, now with Sevilla, uh, could be uh, the subject of an offer from Bayern Munich. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You hadn't heard wow. it, okay? <laughs> uh, no, I haven't heard it. Um, I was, I mean, I was sort of been saying, you know, he'd be, do, be doing really well at Sevilla. Obviously, Argentina mm. national team have, um, you know, finally um, 
you know, started watching him as soon as he left Marseille. Um, to buy Munich, I mean, that would be some coup. I mean, I've always been a massive fan of Ocampos. Oh, he was um, lots of he fun, switched, yeah. He, he switched from a he switched from a, a you know a disappointing winger who tries too much in in the sort of Rodonjic style um, where he he feels like he has to do tricks and you know dribbles and it doesn't it doesn't come off very very well and he really molded himself into a more industrious hard working sort of left winger that that really is you know moves for the whole ninety minutes presses high and and delivers the you know the push and the drive forward rather than being a silky sort of uh, creative outlet of the team. Um, and that's just worked so well. I mean, Marseille, I mean, I'd like to say that they miss him, but obviously the league table's in line at the moment, but that's more um, maybe other factors. But he was just such an amazing uh, servant for OM. Um, and, it had, you know, if he does go to Bayern, it's, it's, it's fantastic for, for, for Sevilla, obviously the fee that they'll get, for OM, who, who put you know, a lot of faith in him. Um, and you know to some extent Rudy Garcia as well, um, who who initiated that change. Um, he's he's a great player, and I wish him obviously the the best. Mm. Obviously, Bayern have lost uh, Kingsley Coman to another injury. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's a very bad injury. I mean, maybe only a few weeks, but maybe that's yeah, one of the reasons. Yeah. yeah. Um, so hopefully, you know, in any case, let's just hope they beat Chelsea. Uh, Clinton. Are you familiar with Mathieu Gonçalves of Toulouse? No. Oh, well, apparently Juventus and Liverpool are uh, trying to convince him to join as well. I, I, I mean, what I, transfer news website are you reading? That's, uh, that, get that, football that news France. Yeah, they, they posted, it. Yeah, they posted <laughs> that. Mathieu Gonçalves. I mean, well, Juventus, I mean, I, I mean, I thought buying was far fetched, but. Juventus and Liverpool, that would be some. But <laughs> well, I've heard of this guy. I don't know only, if he's only he's played this season, though. He's played this yeah. season, and uh, he's, yeah. he's quite highly rated. Um, unlike another guy from Toulouse, who I meant to mention earlier, was um, Agustin Rohel from Uruguay, who on Udin's goal. I mean, yeah, he... there's there's defensive mistakes, and then there's what he did, which was just so bad. It was <laughs> awful. <laughs> Um, before playing defender. Yeah, but he just like I don't. It wasn't even a dummy, but he looked like he was going to pass it, and he didn't even touch the ball. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Um, ugh. Right, Mo, are you ready for another very very random story? I mean, I'm not expecting anyone to know this one, but uh, there's a uh, Monaco on the verge of an agreement for 10 million euros with a guy from Partizan Belgrade, whose name is Strahinja Pavlovich. Um, so I don't know if anyone has heard of him, but it seems... Yeah, I heard of him once. Um, All right. I think it was when it was linked with um, them, but I've not really seen him, so I can't say. But it seems to okay. be very highly rated. So. Yeah, well, 10 million for an 18-year-old. Um, seems like usual kind of Monaco business, I guess. 18-year-old centre-back, so that could where, be happening. Where are these- why are they stacking so many young players? I don't get it. To sell them at a higher fee. <laughs> well, or... there, are no, there are a lot of young players in their team that are not getting... I mean, they're not progressing. As it is, well, so... that's, that's the... Uh, that comes down to Jardim in some ways, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, but yeah. Anyways, that's all my strange transfer stories from today. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Thank you, Clinton, for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Mo. Thank you. And thanks, Philippe. No problem, thanks. As always, for all the latest French football news, you can follow GFFN on Twitter, at GFFN, or get the most random transfer stories, such as these ones, <laughs> at get French, uh, getfootballnewsfrance.com. Um, look, if GFFNs pick them up, I believe them. Yeah. I, I think we're reliable. Uh, oh, yeah. And anyways, <laughs> also, as far as I could tell, GFFN were the first to report the uh, the Bordeaux thing today, uh, which was interesting. I mean, with their link, I mean, it might have been Joe DeGrosse calling in and... <laughs> Maybe, um, yeah. And, and telling, you know, obviously having been on the podcast, uh, the president's podcast, yes. earlier on this season, he might have, you know, offered a scoop himself of probably him, him being kicked out of the boardroom. <laughs> I like to think anyway. Yeah. In any case, uh, we'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening.